Was that for you listening to me? I work with the public and I deal with all different kinds of people. And I think they're, the humans basically are my hands. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't necessarily judge because I have decided in my mind I'm going to judge everything. It just happens. But it's interesting how it happens sometimes because I'll see somebody make a judgment, whatever. And it's funny, a lot of times it's wrong. Some say some old man or something, and I think, oh, just some old man. And the interaction is amazing. He either has a wonderful sense of humor, is amazingly poignant. And I think to myself as he leaves, what a jerk. Why did I put this thing on it? So as, as it progresses, I, I try to get better and better, but, you know, so that's my little... I mean, I think it's absolutely true. Every instant is a completely unknown opportunity. And, you know, we limit it because we, we don't yet have a vision to see it like that, you know? And then sometimes we get caught out because, you know, you see a person and you label them and you end up having a spectacular interaction that's just uh, touching, opening, you know? So, I, but I think you're also right that labeling is and, and that kind of thing is just something that happens, that's one of the things that, that the mind does, is it, it fabricates and it labels. And so part of what our work is to do is just to understand that this is one of the things that minds do and co- to come into a relationship with it where we're not taking it so seriously, you know. So, you know, yeah, this kind of thing arises, but we don't need to believe it, we don't need to follow it, we don't need to have any sense of that this is the truth, nor do we need to get rid of it. We don't need to engage in battle with the things that come into our minds in terms of the fabrications that are formed. Because that's another form of violence. You know, to say, I cannot think. But what is really helpful is not to believe our thoughts, not to believe our mind. But what is helpful is to have a basis that we can actually evaluate things from. And where is that? Where is the ground that is confident, you have confidence, is the place from which to evaluate and to discern? That's a really important question. Because we don't want to throw thinking out. But when is thinking useful and when is it not? That's a really good question. Please, yeah. It's just wonderful. Stick for the cause. Don't believe everything you think. And um, that kind of came into my mind when you said that. And I try personally to get a distance because it comes up so quickly. And I think that's just the way our minds work, to try to get a distance and not to react right away all my thoughts but then you know I noticed myself that people judge me or say something about me and all those things we all have experience and we believe it we just take it and yet they're just expressing their own thought so I'm telling myself not to believe my own thoughts but yet I believe every thought somebody else tells me it's kind of ridiculous to think about that but that's kind of such an automatic that we do so I'm trying to build a distance between all of that and trying when I have a thought or a judgment about somebody, where does it come from? Is it coming from here or is it coming from here? Because there's something like a gut instinct too. And, you know, sometimes that can be very useful. Okay, so I'm trying to try to differentiate. Why do I have this judgment? Do I have had a bad experience with somebody who had the same height, the same hair color, the same age? Because we always make this, the mind just judges, you know. But I try to differentiate. Is it just here or is it really something from here? 
and um, just some input on that. I want to thank you for everything you said tonight. I, I want this on a loop, actually. <laughs> I, um, I work with inmates, and my assignment has just been changed from working with men to working with women. And hearing all the outside stuff about working with women, and people don't want to work with women because there's so much drama in the jail with the women. I'm really not trying to hear any of that and putting in judgment on that. And I've just completed my first group there. And what I'm finding is, and especially with your teaching tonight, is they're so broken. They're so broken. And you said something that I won't allow you to harm yourself in front of me. It's going to be so useful. Absolutely so useful. And I am more moved in here than I can express in words right now. That I can absolutely take with me my words days. Thank you. There's a woman who was a Buddhist chaplain at Holloway Prison in, in England, which is the largest largest woman's prison in Europe. I think they had 900 inmates. And I went there with her. And she was telling me statistics, just like, you know, like facts, like, you know, there's this, 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 and this. And the statistics were something like 90% of the women who were incarcerated were sexually abused. And on the floor where they were self-harming it was like 99% okay it's like you know these women don't need bars they need bunny rabbits and mommies you know and like healing they're totally traumatized it's not to condone violence that comes out of that but if you don't understand the root of where it's coming from you completely miss the point of what's going on here so, you know, you put enough trauma in a person, that is exactly how you end up with hysteria. And that's not gender dependent. It's dependent on trauma, not on the gender. And so, you know, we're in a society that has things happen to people that is horrific. And, you know, people are, the fallout is just really, requires both enormous skill and a phenomenal amount of compassion to respond to. On the subject of letting go, I've been working on letting go for a few years now. And now I'm at the point of letting go of more than I ever have. I'm not meant to where I moved on to another city by myself. And I'm used to being surrounded by people. So my questions and my worries are, what if you're letting go is hurting other how, 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 how do I do What's the best way to approach or make somebody understand that it's not... Well, you know, these are rich, rich topics, and, and it's, relationships are rich and they're complex. But first of all, you're not responsible for where something lands in another person. You're responsible for the intention from which you are saying and speaking and doing something yourself. That's your job. That's your responsibility. If you are a friend or in a, some kind of a partnership, there might be an agreement to be present with the other person while they're processing what lands for them. But it's not your responsibility where it lands, okay? But each of us needs to really look deeply at what's motivating us and to really be clear about, you know, where are things coming from? And is the letting go supportive of your own deepest unfolding? And if that's the case, then there's all kinds of things that can happen that can be disappointing for other people. But if we know that what we're doing is actually in our best interest, 
then it's something that we're going to have to have the courage to follow. You know, a monastic is a total weirdo in this society. You know, people don't have any context for it or placing for it, and families sometimes grieve as if the kids have died. I mean, it's just like, it's a big loss for a family to have somebody become a monastic. And yet, if it's if it's coming from the right place with the right motivation, it's we don't discourage people because their parents might be having a hard time accepting it, you know? So this sense of when do we move out of our embeddedness in a way that actually supports awakening and at what point are we reneging on our responsibilities depends very much on the relationships that you are in. So if you had children who were under the age of 18 and you said, I'm leaving because I need to go have some more space, I'd say, well, let's maybe talk about this. But if it's not somebody that you are in a responsible position for maintaining their welfare and well-being, then I think we're talking about something very different. Anila, what would you say about this? A lot of times, and again, there is a difference whether it is a responsibility that, like for children, so we have to look at that maybe a little bit different. But a lot of times, people put a lot of expectations on us and we're trying to fulfill them. And in some ways, we feel bad because we cannot fulfill their expectation, which is not really our job. Our job really is to find out, find what is our capable, what are we capable to fulfill within ourselves to, be, to free ourselves. Because the more you are joyful and happy and, and relieve yourself of all the attachment and the pain and, and the suffering, the more than you can give. And so your job, I believe, is not to go out and fulfill somebody else's expectations. And a lot of times I, I found in my own environment people put so many expectations on me. And I tried so hard, you know, especially a lot of women, we try so hard to fulfill them. And, and really it doesn't bring you happiness. It doesn't, we cannot do that. We cannot fulfill somebody else's expectations. They have to let go of their own expectations. And we have to let go of the expectation of ourselves to make somebody else happy. Okay, so the only thing we really can work on is to free ourselves from our own suffering. To realize our own goodness and then share that. Going back to what you said about that you find yourself in front of me. I have a few friends of mine who are around my age who have, who are, who are, have had or are having body image issues. I mean, it's not anything drastic, but just a little seed is there, and it's sort of, I don't know, now I feel like I, feel like I have some sort of, like almost a duty almost to sort of remind them that the whole body image thing is, it's usually just some advertiser's image just being cast down upon them that just by living and breathing, you know, they're already, you know, beautiful or whatever. And yeah, it's just some, just something I thought about going off of that. It's a wonderful sentiment that I So I hate that part about uncertainty and when you close the one door and you're waiting for the other one. You're the only one. <laughs> I make myself sick and queasy, and even though in that waiting period, possibly there's not even like anything different in my life, like it all looks exactly the same, 
with the amount just nausea I can cause myself while I wait and while I, I just am so desperate to pin down what what that window is going to be that opens, what is it going to look like, I want that certainty, I want a certificate. <laughs> um, so hard. I find that I'm maybe a little more able to not inflict that as much with people around me, but I haven't found that my experience and how I'm feeling in my body has actually um, changed much over time and with practice. I still get, make, just make myself frantic and crazy. I'm, yeah, so I might look like I'm more at ease, like you were saying about not looking maybe like you're terrified, but really you are. I might look a little more at ease sometimes at this time in my life, and I'm really not if I don't feel like I know what's going on and what's going to be going on. And I think that my question would be, um, hints or tricks <laughs> to, to actually have that, like I can just feel it, just, ah, and to have that maybe get a little bit less tight with those situations. So I can share from my own personal experience. For me, what happened that really was very helpful was I began to get a sense of age, age-appropriate reactions. So some of the stuff that was happening was actually really, really, really young. So, you know, it looked like I was in my adult body, but in fact I was regressing into a very early childhood terror of wanting to have comfort and, and, and certainty in a situation where, as a young child, it's totally suitable to have it. Okay? You don't put a two-year-old in a space and you say, hang out with the unknown. You don't do that. You know, you, you, you cuddle them, you pick them up, you give them assurance, you let them know that you're there for them, and you let them know that it's going to be okay and that you're going to help walk them through whatever's going on until it sorts itself out. So for me, what was really huge was I began to be able to tune in to the age levels of what was actually emerging for me and not just assume that because I was in a body that was this amount of years, that this was actually the age of what was emerging for me, okay? And then, so one was to recognize that they were different ages and then to begin to get a feeling for, you know, what does a two-year-old need? Or what does a five-year-old need? Or what does a six-year-old need? Or what does a six-week-year-old need? Okay? So if I had regressed into an age of something, someone that was really little, to be able to, to meet it, to meet that energy where it was at and respond appropriately. And when I could do that, then it would shift much, much, much faster. Because it's like in the same thing, if you put a two-year-old in a room and say, you know, sit on your cushion and sort this out by yourself, you know, you're going to have somebody who's absolutely hysterical, okay? But if you pick them up and hold them close to your heart and say, I'm totally here for you, let's go talk to the bunny rabbits, you know? Or let's go talk to the flowers. What do the flowers have to say about all of this? You know, it doesn't take a two-year-old long to shift if they're met where they're at. But if you disallow them to be where they're at, then it, you can, it can dissolve into absolute pandemonium. When you're a parent, you know, you know, you totally know. So part of what I've had to do with myself is, is meet myself where I'm at. And it, it's taken year, years, and it's also taken skill to learn how to both hold the mind space of a two-year-old who's totally freaked out 
and also to bring the loving, present, warm, caring, responsive, responsible presence to that and hold both because that's exactly what's happening, okay? I couldn't do it initially without support. And then when I had support, then I learned how to do that. So part of my skill is being absolutely responsive. What's happening right now? I mean, it looks like I am not too, but you don't know. You know, I might have gotten knocked by something and be in some kind of a regress state, and that's exactly where I'm at, okay? The faster I'm able to track where I'm at and respond to it, then the faster the whole thing shifts. And I'm not walking around with a plastic smile on my face. I'm actually present with what's happening and responding to what's happening. That's made a big difference for me. A big, big difference. Yeah. And for me, you know, like one of the things that's been so huge the last two years is this unbelievable loneliness. Okay? An unimaginable loneliness. And part of that loneliness is coming because of just wanting to be met where I'm at, you know? Wanting to be received and met and seen exactly where I'm at. And so the longing for that all comes with that kind of loneliness, if I can touch exactly where it's coming from and respond to that, then it can shift, you know? It can shift in, in awareness itself rather than spinning with the desire fantasies of what I need in order to fulfill this longing. Or the pleasure fantasies that take one away from the pain of wanting or the pain of missing or the pain. It's all connected to the same. Do you have any share? Yeah, I'm, I'm coming, of course, from a little bit of different direction and in the Tibetan Buddhism, they have a lot of Tibetanism in there, but they have a lot of wonderful Buddhism in there too. And they have some incredible, incredible tools that one can start to use and apply. And what I started to do, I realized one of my major issues was trust. I learned not to trust. Like I'm sure many of you in here have similar issues. And so what I needed to learn is to figure out who can I trust? I need to start to trust my heart. You know, I cannot really rely on anybody. I was born in Switzerland. I left at an early age. I was literally by myself my whole life. No family. And so it's, I needed to find somewhere, something I could trust. And so what I learned to do, and it's just a technique that I started to build up, it's like when you have a lover, when you really, really love. You want to know everything about that person. You want to know what do they do, what do they drink, what do they... Everything you want to know about the person. Isn't that true? I think we all have to have that experiences. I kind of did that with my own heart. Except I put that heart into a figure. And for me it is Chenrezig. Chenrezig is a, a figure in the Tibetan Buddhism. It's a, we call it a Buddha. There's a lot of compassion. Okay? And it's something we all have, you know, whenever we in Tibetan Buddhism and we talk about all these gods and these, these deities and all that, it's nothing else than part of your own heart. There's nothing out there. It's all from your own heart. So I started with uh, Chenrezig and I have uh, put this little altar down at just the place and I have a nice figure there and so because I needed to have build a relationship 
And so I took it from my heart, put it out there, there's Shinrezi, and every morning I sat down and I gave him water, I gave him, washed his, his feet, you know, mentally I massaged his feet and washed them and, and gave him food and, and told him whatever happens. I built that relationship like it was my lover. And over time, I started to trust. I started to trust my own heart. And I'm just having built that up over years and years and years. And yes, I'm very sure, no, it's not something out there. It's our own mind. But it's something to hold on. Because I found I I didn't have the grounds. There was nothing for me to stand. And I needed to have something to hold on. You know, and, and so some people use, you know, in their own religion, some peop- the people have their own practices, whatever it is, it's good. But usually it's all, always coming from your heart. Whether you're working, uh, you know, you're a Christian or whatever you believe is, it's coming out from your heart. You connect with your heart. And the stronger you can make that connection, the more you can start trusting in, in that heart. And that's what I have been really really hard working on and I realized that the, when there are uncertainties I just go in and trust the heart and I can actually go to bed and sleep surrounded, held by that mm-hmm. and it makes a huge difference to me mm-hmm. you know even so yes I know there is not a being out there but it's still it, it, it's a, made a big it's a big help. The other thing I like to mention you know for you who work at prison and, and anybody who works with people out there, and we all have challenges with certain people. What I have found that when we start to do our practices, whatever it is, mentally, include them. Have them next to you, okay? Especially when there is somebody who gives you a difficult time. When you pray or whatever you think, you sit out and you enjoy a beautiful tree or you enjoy a beautiful meal, imagine them sitting next to you enjoying the same meal together for the benefit of everybody. Just practice that. Always for the benefit of everybody and do it with an open heart. And you will actually notice changes will happen. So just a a little thought. So I'd like to close with just a a two minutes or three minutes of loving kindness meditation and then a few more words and announcements. Just come back into sitting allowing posture to relax and the spine to elongate. I'm feeling the whole body sitting here, the space that it occupies. And just take a minute or two and and begin to get a sense of oneself and the journey that one has made from, from being an infant to the present moment. The circumstances, the trials, the tribulations, the successes, the failures and our own exquisite tenderness and longing to wake up out of suffering, our interest to stop harming ourselves and to stop harming others. And for the wholeness of our life and our experience, we can bring a sense of care and kindness and respect for our humanity, the wholeness of our own manifestation, our strengths, our challenges, Aspiration to wake up out of suffering is so precious, so rare, so important. Just feeling the warmth of our own caring and respect and appreciation and letting that spread with everybody here in this space together. 
letting it spread and touch the land that supports us underneath touch our families our children our parents our teachers mentors and friends this aspiration to wake out of suffering the respect to meet what is with care let it spread and touch all beings everywhere Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.